0: Now, if you're new with us, my name's Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we're starting a series, a new series. It's kind of like part two to a series that we did in the fall. And I'm just curious, how many of you remember a series we did in the fall called Words to Live By? remember that number of folks. All right, so help me out then. What words did we explore in that series? We, We explored the word no. If you aren't familiar, they're not being resistant with my request. They're answering the question. So that was one of the words, no. What else? Yes, Yes. help, and then murmuring happens, and we don't really remember the rest. Um, Enough, and sorry. So there's a number of words that we explored in that series, and what we were doing was we were looking at the power of simple words and how those simple words could be used by God to transform our lives if we will let him do that. So what I thought was, what if we took that concept and we brought it into the new year, and instead of of, of looking at that one word for just a moment or just a week, what if we identified a word for ourselves for the whole year? So what if for this whole year, in 2019, we had a word, or we had a phrase that we focused on, and it was one thing that we knew, like, I got to work on this thing. I got to work on this stuff, and God can use this one word or this phrase to help me out significantly in my life. So what I'm going to do in this series is I'm going to identify several words that you might connect with, but if you don't connect with it, that's fine, because there are many words out there, and I want you to find a word that's personal to you, a word that when you say it, it helps you to... Refocus on the truth of what God wants you to do in your life. It helps to to get you back into that proper perspective when life comes and starts knocking you around, and you're confused, you're overwhelmed, you're not sure what to do next. Uh, this one word, this one phrase, I think, has the ability to pull you back to what you need to know and what you need to do. So I think this will make a little bit more sense as. Um, this message unfolds today. So, for today, the first message, we're going to look at the power of two words. The power of the words, but God. That might sound a little strange, but those two words stand in contrast to two other words that we often use that hold us back in life. And those two other words are, but I. And I want you to think about how many times that we say the words, but I. You know, often at the beginning of a new year, we're excited for, for something new. And often uh, we're, we're saying, you know, this is going to be the year of health for me. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise more. Like, I'm just going to do all that stuff that, that I know I need to do for that healthier life. And then all of a sudden, February comes or January 2nd comes. <laughs> and we say, but I just love bacon and Sugar and all things fried, like I know I should eat better, but I just struggle to give some of that stuff up. There are other folks that say, you know, I know I should, I should date somebody who's a Christ follower, who shares my faith, and yet I struggle to find somebody like that. But I just can't find somebody like that, so I guess I just have to lower my standards. And often experiences some pain... Through some of that. Uh, we say things like, I know I should trust God with this situation, but I'm so afraid, but I'm so worried, but I'm so concerned that God won't work this out the way that I want him to work it out. So I'm just going to hold on to it a little bit longer. I'll try to manage this thing myself this year. The words, but I have kept so many people from doing and experiencing so many things in life. They've kept people from taking risks, trying new things, resolving conflict, beating addictions, moving on from past hurts, going on a mission trip, joining a small group, attending a church on a regular basis, putting our faith in Jesus. Those two words have kept many people from doing all kinds of things in life. And maybe you can identify with that. You think about your own life. You think about, man, the power of the words, but I have kept you from some things. And if we were able to spend some time exploring your life, I'm sure we'd identify a number of things. I think about my own life. Those two words have kept me from experiencing a lot of things. And they've almost kept me from experiencing other things. So I'm going to give you some examples of how those two words almost kept me from something that I was able to experience. When I was in middle school, uh, our youth group decided we were going to go to... um, Wet and Wild. I know Wet and Wild isn't open anymore, but anybody uh, remember a ride at Wet and Wild called Der Stuka? Okay, number of folks. Woo! Some people excited about it, some people a little bit afraid. That's me. So m- my friends from our youth group at church decided to go, so we went to Wet and Wild, and they were so excited, they wanted to go ride Der Stuka. So if you're not familiar with Der Stuka, it's one of those rides that's like a A 1,000 feet in the air or something, like it's above the clouds, you can't quite see the platform from the ground. But you get to the top after you've climbed all these stairs, and you look down through the clouds, and then you see the birds flying, and and you know that I've got to go down through this thing on a single slide ride that goes all the way down. And it's super fun, is what they say. So you you go down, and you, you slow down in this small water trough that's got about that much water at the end. Sounds great, doesn't it? So we get to the top. My friends are like, yes, and they go. And I get my turn and I'm like, but I can't because I'm scared to death. And so I backed away from the slide and people started piling up behind me and I was polite. And I just said, no, you go. No, yeah, go ahead. No, you go. So I did that for a while. And I don't know, maybe an hour later. No, you go. Really? Yeah. I'm just like enjoying the view up here, helping the lifeguard. Uh, I, after the probably the 100th first grader that went down the slide, I thought, I'm such a punk. Like, I've got to overcome this fear. I've got to do this. I can't stay up here all night. I've got to go down. And so I mustered the courage and went down, got to the bottom. It's like three seconds, I think. Like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. I think I could do this. So I did that a few more times. And now if you'd ask me, hey, do you want to go do that again? No. Like, no, I, no, I don't really want to do that. But those two words almost kept me from experiencing some things that my friends and I were doing that, and at a time where we were having a, having a good time together. When I was in college, those two words almost kept me from dating my wife. So when I met my wife, I thought, wow. Like, she is amazing, but there was a problem. She was dating somebody else. It's kind of a problem. And I thought, man, wow, she's just fantastic. Wow, she's dating somebody else. And so I uh, observed her from a distance, and then they weren't dating as much, and then they weren't dating, and a friend of mine said, you should ask her out. And I'm like, but I just don't think I can. I just don't think she'll go out with me. Uh, look at the, the last guy that she dated. He was tall. He was muscular. He was hairy. And I I have a nickname for him. I like to call him Chewbacca. Yeah, just, just had a lot of hair. Just nice guy. But, um, anyway, so th- that thought, but I just don't know if she'll go out with me, almost kept me from asking her out for a very long time. But God eventually struck Chewbacca down. Not literally. He's not dead or anything. I mean, he's still alive. But I got up the courage and I asked Tammy out and she said, yes. Like who would have known? She would have fallen for a short, not muscular balding guy, but she did. And two weeks ago, we celebrated 25 years of marriage. So those two words, but I almost kept me from experiencing one of the greatest relationships with another person on this earth that I could have outside of a relationship with Jesus uh, because I was afraid in that moment. And I'm so glad I didn't let those words hold me back. Now, you may be surprised by this, but those two words are found all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible, the words, but I, are found. So when God came to Abraham said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And Abraham said, but I don't have any kids. God came to Moses and said, I I need you to go free the nation of Israel from years of slavery to the Egyptians. And Moses said, but I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good leader. When Esther was tapped to go and uh, help preserve the nation of Israel from certain slaughter from the Persians, she said, but I'm afraid I'll die if I do that. When Jesus came to Peter and said, hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat, Peter said, but I've been fishing all night long and I haven't caught anything. And so we often throw out this but I as an excuse for what we think can't be done or what we think that we can't do. And the interesting thing as you read through scripture is God does not disagree with anybody's excuse. He doesn't say that to Moses, no, Moses, like, you really are a good speaker. He doesn't say that. He says, Moses, I know you're not good with words, but I'm gonna speak for you. And then with Esther, there's there's this idea of, I I know you're afraid, but I'm going to be with you in this experience. And Peter, I I know you fished all night long. I know you're a professional fisherman. I, I know you've done that longer than me, but if you trust me, I'm gonna show you how to fish for people. Like, I'm gonna do something so supernatural that you will know that there really is a God who really loves you. So, God always fills in where our excuses fall short. In another part of Scripture, and actually 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there is a group of early Christ followers in this ancient city of Corinth, who are struggling with this but I excuse. They're living in this new environment that they're really having a difficult time understanding how to apply their faith in this environment. And so Paul has got to address them. He's got to step in and help them understand something that they are not understanding, that they're struggling with, and they're using these excuses to hold them back from becoming who God wants them to be in that community. So let me tell you about the community that they lived in. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. But the city of Corinth, the ancient city of Corinth, uh, is located in the Mediterranean Sea. And you see a a map here. You see Greece that's kind of in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Then we've got another picture here that's going to show you Corinth. So you see Corinth there is a little landmass that connects the mainland of Greece with the peninsula of Greece. And this little landmass was really important because it had a harbor on both sides. It had a harbor going to Asia and a harbor going to Europe. And that made it a very important city for trading. But what happened about 200 years before Jesus came was this city was destroyed by Rome. And then they started to rebuild it. And when they were rebuilding it, they rebuilt it as this new up-and-coming city, this new environment of innovation and ingenuity and wealth and possibilities and, and opportunities. And anybody who wanted to be anybody was looking for an opportunity to move to this new startup community called Corinth. But Corinth also became a place of sensuality and sexuality where anything goes. And there was this idea in Corinth that started to permeate that culture, that new redeveloping culture that went a little bit like this. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. (laughs) Now, can you believe that anybody would be gullible enough to think that you can live any way you want and not pay some consequences for that? Like, we are so more advanced than they are. We would never think of that, would we? Well, maybe we would. So in Corinth, again, there was this early group of Christ followers who were struggling to live as Christians there. They were struggling with the distractions of Corinth, the pettiness of Corinth, the prestige, the politics, the doggy dog environment that was there. It was one of those environments where if you weren't keeping up, you were going to be chewed up and spit out and left behind. And so there were some early Christ followers saying, but I just don't know if I can live the Christian life in this kind of culture. So Paul addresses them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. So Paul is, is writing this to those early Christ followers in a new church that he planted in this community. So I want you to kind of get the context. Here they are, they get this letter from Paul, they open it up and they start reading it uh, aloud to the entire church. Hey, this is a letter from Paul, let's read this. So they get to this spot and it would, it would almost kind of feel like Paul standing here today saying, hey, um, Christians in Flagler County. Hey, Christians at Epic Church. Let me remind you of something that before you came to Jesus, you were like a nobody. Like, you weren't wealthy. You weren't influential. Uh, you didn't have power. And I'm wondering if those early Corinthian Christ followers are going, what? Like, thanks, Paul. That's great. Like, we're struggling here, and we're trying to get some encouragement from you. That's not real encouraging. And Paul would continue on and say, and you still aren't, according to the world's standards. You still aren't. And then Paul says the two words that are the turning point in this passage. They were the turning point in his life, and they can be the turning point in your life. In verse 27, he said, But God, but God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So Paul reminded those early Corinthian Christians, and he reminds us this morning that when we feel like we're falling short of our world standards, God says, I don't use those standards. I don't care if you're wise according to the world's wisdom. God says, I don't care if you're wealthy according to how the world measures wealth or or how the world measures power because God uses people and things that our world despises. God uses people and things that our world is not impressed by to put to shame the things our world is impressed by. So if you've ever felt like you're a nobody and you're just not sure how God could use you Paul would say, great, because God loves to use nobodies to do supernatural things in us and through us. And he would be so excited if you kind of had that mentality. And then in verse 29, Paul said, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And the reason that is so important is because there are moments uh, that we get so excited about our accomplishments, so excited about our achievements, we start patting ourselves on the back and we think, you know what, like we're doing so great. Like, how could God ever live without me? Like, I'm fantastic. Have you seen my bank account? Have you seen my resume? Have you seen the letters behind my name? Wow. I am somebody. So Paul kind of warns us of, of two extremes that we have a tendency to lean towards. We we sometimes lean to the extreme of I'm a nobody. God could never use me. And we hold God at a distance. Or we go to the extreme of, man, I'm a somebody. Like I'm from Corinth. Do you understand where I'm from? Like, I'm a somebody in a big city in the big town. And Paul would remind us to say, "Hey, no, it's not about you. It's about God and what God can do, not about what you can't do, or what you think you can do." So the words "but God" mean. God can do in us and through us what our world says can't be done. So when our world says your marriage is hopeless, Paul reminds us, but God can fix it. When our world says you'll never be able to live down your past, scripture reminds us that God can use your past in ways that can help other people take significant steps towards him And when our world says, like, you'll never really be able to live for God in this world, in this environment, in this culture, you might as well just join the rest of us, Paul says, but God can teach you how to shine a light in a a dark world that desperately needs to see the light of Jesus. So, but God means there is nothing that you cannot overcome in this life when you let God work in you and through you. So in 2019, there is nothing that can stand against you when you let God work in you and through you. Anybody excited about that this morning? Awesome. We got four people that are excited. It's great. So over 10 years ago, when God was asking my wife and I to start Epic, I came up with every but-eye I excuse I could find. But I'm not a good enough leader but I'm not a good enough communicator. But I'm not a good enough pastor. But I don't know how to do that. And at the time, my wife was very sick, and she'd been sick for several years. And I said, But Tammy is so sick, like, I don't, have no idea how we could do this. But God invited about 25 other adults to come and help us get started as a church. And we had people that rolled up their sleeves and said, Listen, I'll help in the children's ministry. I'll help in our, our worship ministry, our tech ministry, our prep team. Like, I'll help do whatever needs to be done. I'll help. I'll leave a church that I'm well connected with, I'm established at. I'll leave that to come help you get this church started. And I got to tell you, I am so incredibly grateful for those 25 people who said, I'm willing to step out and. And see what God can do, And I'm just curious: Are any of those 25 people here in this service? There were a few in the first service. If you are, would you please stand for a minute? I know Brian's back there. We've got look at this. Hey, would you help me thank these folks? It, In in my eyes, like, these are the superheroes. These are the ones that came alongside of me in a moment when I said, but I can't do it. And God said, yeah, I know, I know. So I'm gonna invite a whole other group of people to come and fill in where your but-eye excuses always fall short. And then God expanded that. God has used, uh, right now, we have about 250 people involved in serving on a regular basis in our church family. And that is mind-boggling to me. I love that. The reality of God is calling us to work together to reach our community for Christ. So when Tammy and I said, but I can't do this, but we can't do it, God stepped in and said, I know, but I can. And he's using amazing people to pull this off. So what is your but I excuse? What's your excuse that you keep using that holds you back from doing some things that God wants you to do? Do you say, but I'm afraid, but I'm lonely, but I'm not in the right job, but I don't have enough money, but I don't know how to trust God enough? Like, what is your but-I excuse? You can either spend this year letting that excuse hold you back again another year from doing or experiencing what God wants you to do and experience, or this could be the year where the word's but God come into your life. And you have a story at the end of the year where you say, you know, I couldn't do that, but God did. But God stepped in and helped me overcome the thing that was holding me back. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think for a moment of what your but I" excuse is. Uh, you may already know it. Um, you may have I've already bumped into it in this new year. It may come tomorrow. It may come next week. It may come a month from now. But you'll be faced with this excuse when life gets difficult, when things get challenging in your situation. You'll be faced with this excuse, and you'll have a decision to make. So here's what I want you to do. As you think about that excuse, and the next time it pops up, I want you to remind yourself of something. You may want to write this, up, this down, because I, I think this is powerful, and it's so worth hearing and remembering. God is bigger than your butt one T. That is probably the only thing that most of you will remember from today's message. And if, if that's the only thing that you take away, that's okay. For those of you who are just waking up saying, what did he say? Like, is that okay? It's okay. You can laugh in church. The point is, God is bigger than any excuse you can ever come up with for not doing what he's asking you to do. God is bigger than any excuse that you could ever come up with for what God wants you to do. So what if we spent this year saying, I can't, but God can. Like, I can't beat my addiction, but God can show me how. I can't forgive that person who's hurt me, but God can teach me how to do that. I can't do this single parent thing alone, but God can guide me. What if we spent this year saying, I can't, but God can. And I want you to notice what happens when we uh, embrace that reality When we let that truth transform our lives, Paul says something in a different letter that he wrote to a different church, actually a group of Christ followers in a church that he started in the city of Philippi. He wrote in Philippians 4.13, he said this. He said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The interesting thing is they would pass these letters around to those different churches and those communities and they would read these letters. So I'm wondering if the the church in Corinth said, like, I can do all things. Wait a minute, Paul, you told us we can't do it. But, but God can, I think Paul would say, yes, that's the secret of this powerful truth. When we uh, adapt to this truth, when we embed that truth into our lives, we sit where we say, I can't, but God can, then God turns that truth around and says, yes, you can when you do it through me, because you can do all things when you do it through my strength, not your strength. Remember, it's always about what God can do, not about what we cannot do. So, what might your word be for this year? What might your word be that would help you grow in that one area, and help you overcome that, that thing that just kind of keeps beating you up in life? What is that one word or that one phrase? For some of you this morning, maybe your word is now but God. Like, maybe you identify with that, you connect with that, and that's kind of thing that you're going to be able to hold on to. Uh, for others of you, maybe your word is forgiven. Maybe your past keeps haunting you, and you feel like you can't get away from that, that thing that you did or that reputation that you had, and you're trying to start a new life, and, and it's just so difficult. People keep reminding you. You remind yourself, and maybe you need to remind yourself of what First John 1, 9 says. It says, if we confess our sins to him, who's God... If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness or other translations say unrighteousness. So God will forgive us from that stuff. Scripture also teaches that God will take our sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? There is no stopping point for that. He removes those sins from us as we come to him and confess them. And so maybe this year, when you're reminded of your past, you just need to say the word forgiven. Because it stands for the reality of you can be forgiven in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe your word needs to be enough. Maybe you've never felt good enough to be loved by somebody or be loved by God, and maybe that's kind of been your thing. Like you're just struggling, always feeling like I'm just not good enough. You need to be reminded of that on a regular basis that you are enough. Actually, I actually have a friend. Who tattooed that word on her forearm to remind her of that powerful truth—that she is enough? Now, um, I'd, I'd tattoo my word on me if I weren't afraid of pain and needles. <laughs> I'm not saying you should tattoo your word on you, but you know, maybe we should find that word or a way to remember the power of a simple word like enough. Maybe your word needs to be follow. For some of you here this morning, maybe you're just checking out Christianity, check, just checking out faith. Maybe someone invited you to church today, and so here you are. You're just exploring a little bit, but maybe you wouldn't identify as a Christ follower. And what you need to know is that when Jesus invited his early disciples to come follow him, he didn't tell them, listen, you got to believe everything that I believe in order to be my follower. He just said, hey, why don't you come and follow me? And as people followed Jesus, many of them were radically transformed by what they observed in his life and how they found out that they could know him personally. So maybe for you, if you're in that spot where you say, like, I don't know that I'm a Christ follower yet, maybe your word for this year is just follow. Maybe you need to commit to following Jesus, exploring what faith in him might look like. And here's some, some ways that you could do that. One, you could just spend some time reading the Bible, As you read the Bible, you can get to know Jesus personally. And I would encourage you to, if you don't have a Bible, take one of our Bibles in the back of each section as our free gift to you. If you use something on your phone, download a Bible app. The one I recommend is called YouVersion. And a translation I recommend you start using is the New Living Translation. It's called the NLT. And I encourage you to just spend time reading the book of John. And as you read the book of John, you will be following Jesus and observing his life, and getting familiar with him and who he is, learning what he said about himself, learning what he can do in your life. I think that'd be a great thing for you to be doing this year. Another thing that you could do is just commit to attending a church, a place where you can continue to learn about the teachings of Jesus and how to apply those things to your life. And I encourage you to get answers for the questions that you have. You might have some some questions, some real deep questions. And the reality is, there's some great answers out there. And sometimes we use our questions as a way to kind of hold God at a distance. And I challenge you, don't do that this year. Just let the, the word follow prompt you to ask those questions and get real answers for the real questions that you have. So again, I don't know what your word might be. You do, or you'll find out and over the next few weeks as you spend some time praying and processing that. On your seat is a little card. Um, uh, you may have to share with somebody else as you look at that, but on one side it says, my word to live by in 2019. So what we're going to be doing starting next week is I'm going to ask you to identify a word. For you. And I'm going to ask you to do something specific with that next week. So if you want to take this home with you, just spend some time praying, talking to God, God, what is my word? Some of you may identify it right now. You may know what your word is. Others of you may need to spend some time praying and processing. But I encourage you to spend some time doing that and identify what that word might be for you. And then again, next week, I'm going to show you what we can do with that. Now, another thing that we're going to be doing in this series is something that we do every year in the life of our church, and we are going to walk through a fast together. We're going to practice the ancient spiritual discipline of giving up food of some type or or some amount for some length of time. For this series, it'll be a a two-week fast that'll start on January the 14th. It'll run to January the 27th. And I think that could be a great time for us to embed this word into our lives or even spend some time trying to identify what that word or that phrase could be in our lives. And if you are brand new to fasting and thinking, like, what in the world is that? Do I have to be a Christ follower for 25 plus years in order to participate in fasting? You don't. Uh, Anybody can participate in this spiritual discipline. On our. At our connection center, we've got a document called our Fasting Preparation Guide, and if you're new to fasting, I encourage you to just stop by and pick that up. It'll also be on our website at theepicchurch.com, connected to this message. So when you go, if you want to go listen to this message again, then you can find this document there, and I encourage you just spend some time reading through that because that can help you get prepared and understand a little bit more about what it means to walk through this spiritual discipline of fasting, to give up something physical, to get something spiritual. It's a great way to start the year. And again, we've started every year in the life of our church with a fast and excited about doing that again this year. Um, If you aren't new to fasting, let's say you've been a part of our church since we started, and and, um, here comes another fast, and you're like, oh no, another fast. What I encourage you to do is not to just Do the same stuff you do every year, just to really spend some time praying, God, what do you want me to do this year as I walk through this fast? And I'm going to tell you something next week that we're going to be doing as part of this fast that's going to be a little bit different than what we have done. Um, So I hope that all of us will engage this and watch God do something supernatural through this discipline. So in just a second, our worship team is going to close us through a song called Found in You. And what I encourage you to do during this song as we're singing this is begin that conversation with God about what your word might be. If you've identified that, great. Talk to God about that. If you haven't, start a conversation. God, what could be the word? What could be the phrase that will help me grow to be more like Jesus this year and overcome things that have been holding me back? Next week, I'm gonna tell you what my word for the year is. So I hope you come back for that. If you would, stand with me. And we're gonna pray together. Lord, for a very long time, probably back to Adam and Eve, the words, but I, have kept us from doing and experiencing some amazing things in life, and yet all throughout Scripture, the words, but God, have filled in where our excuses fall short. So, Lord, we are so incredibly grateful that you're a God who pursues us, that you're a God who steps in in the context when we can't do something. And through the understanding where we say, I can't, but you can, you turn that powerful truth around and say, no, you actually can. As you do things in my power and in my strength. And so, Lord, I just pray for us as a church family as we begin this new year, Lord, that that we would be focused on what you can do, not what we can do. Prepare our hearts for this fast. Lord, prepare our minds and our bodies for for walking through that in a way that'll bring the greatest honor and glory to you and the greatest transformation in our own lives. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to identify that one word or that short phrase, that will help us overcome those things that hold us back in our lives. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this, amen.